You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook where we post all of our episodes, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the show for Packer fans that know what happened. They want to know why and how. We had crossover Wednesday yesterday, and we have Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic on today to talk more about the Chicago Bears because it has been a long time since the Packers have seen this team. In fact, week one, and as I have mentioned before, a lot has changed. I don't have to tell you that. You know a lot has changed. Because heading into week one, we thought the Packers were a Super Bowl contender and the Bears were a fringe wildcard contender. In that intervening time, that narrative has flipped entirely. And that is certainly not something that I think anyone predicted if they're being honest. But that's where we are. And that is where the Packers are heading into Sunday attempting to save their season. This is their Super Bowl. And they need to win. Before we get to that conversation with Kevin, though, there is some some housekeeping stuff with the Packers that I want to go over as part of a broader discussion about Brian Gutekunst because the Packers signed Nico Siragusa off the Ravens practice squad yesterday because Byron Bell went on IR. So this is Justin McCray's job at right guard moving forward. And that is potentially troubling for the Packers. I went back and watched specifically the right side of the offensive line. I went back and watched every offensive snap. And what I saw was Jason Spriggs, who has been dragged a lot on Packers Twitter, actually did a pretty good job. I I went back and charted every basically every block he made. And I had him for zero negative runs, which means... He did not, his block did not result in any sort of negative plays for the running backs. That doesn't mean he made every block 100%, but it means he wasn't so bad in a a particular play that his missed assignment or failed assignment or whatever you want to say caused a negative play. And in the passing game, the only pressure he gave up was on a sack to Vic Beasley where Aaron Rodgers held the ball and tried to escape the pocket. There were some communication issues with Justin McCray where they did not pass off some stunts and some twists and Atlanta attacked that a little bit, but it was Spriggs who was, who was getting the looping guy blocked and McCray was, was showing very little spatial awareness to pick up those stunts. And that is something that has plagued McCray since he got back into the lineup. He just hasn't really shown very good awareness He's not blocking guys in the run game. Just It's like he doesn't even know who to block. And I don't know if it's rust or confidence or what's going on, but he has not played well. And that's part of a bigger discussion that I want to have in a second. But picking up Nico Siragusa, who's a former fourth-round pick before he hurt his knee, was a promising young offensive lineman. 
And the Packers also, in season, signed Tony Brown, a guy that I thought was a top 100 prospect coming out of Alabama. They signed Natrell Jamerson, who was one of the overhang hybrid players that I was really fond of coming out of school. Uh, Tex Western, my editor at Acme Packing Company, also very fond of him. And you start to see a pattern emerge in the kinds of players Brian Gutekunst is bringing in. These are freak athletes. The fullback from Northwestern, Vitaly, he is a freak athlete. And not just not just a good athlete, an elite athlete. And Brian Gutekinds has shown a willingness to pick up these guys and try and improve the roster on the margins, something Ted Thompson rarely did. And these guys are not going to come in and play big roles, though Tony Brown has had to come in and play meaningful snaps. Ibrahim Campbell had to come in and play meaningful snaps for the Packers because of injuries and played well. Tony Brown has come in and played meaningful snaps and played his play has certainly improved, and I've made the case before, I'll make it again. Right now, he's a better pure cover corner than Josh Jackson. For myriad reasons, but that is just the reality. Bashad Breland, obviously, I have I have made my case for him. I wrote about it for Acme Packing Company this week. The Packers should make him their highest value priority free agent this offseason when they have to re-sign him or make a decision about re-signing him. Jair Alexander said it. I said, I need him. They've developed a connection, and I think right now he's their second best corner. Kevin King's hurt. Jair Alexander, clear number one. With Breland, they could form a really nice secondary. But Brian Gutekunst has shown a willingness to make changes and add players and not just former Packers and not just, you know, fringe roster guys. Nico Saragusa, fourth round pick from a year ago. Now, yeah, he was on the practice squad, but part of that was because he was injured in 2017 and has been fighting back from that injury. We're not even sure, you know, how how back to form he is. Practice squad guys don't get to play, so they're harder to scout. But Jamerson, again, was a draft pick and had fallen out of favor. You take those shots. And we talked about this when, when we talked about Natrell Jamerson being signed. These are the kinds of high upside plays that you hope one or two pop over the course of a season. The Campbell decision paid off. He gave them good snaps at safety. The Tony Brown gamble has paid off. And the and these aren't big gambles because you're not risking much. And, and that is why it, it is such a disappointment that Ted Thompson had been so hesitant to make these kinds of moves. Eddie Pleasant is not a player Ted Thompson would have signed. Ibrahim Campbell is not a player Ted Thompson would have signed. Maybe Tony Brown was, maybe Jamerson was, but maybe he makes those once a season, once an off season. I mean, when when you look at the draft and what Gutekunst did just to get Jair Alexander on the draft pick would have been great. You get a high-impact, possible future Pro Bowl player and a future first-round pick. That's a good draft. And then you add in the upside of Jackson and Burks, and and I don't think anyone should be ready to give up on Burks. This is a converted safety who is still learning how to play linebacker. It was always going to take him a little bit of time. No one should be worried that he is a bust right away. That kid is a worker. He is a a really smart, really dedicated kid. 
No one should be worried about him. And then you look at the receivers. Equinemius St. Brown makes a play every week. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he has, he has not been showing up lately, but had a run where he was an important part of this offense, showing their potential. And then you add in someone like Tony Brown. You add in the special teams battery that they created. The young players added to this roster, before we even get into the Tremont Williams, Muhammad Wilkerson, Byron Bell, Jimmy Graham veteran fortification of this team that Brian Gutekunst undertook in just one offseason, remaking this roster in his image. There was a really good quote in a piece in Packers News from another former GM about Brian Gutekunst, and it was about how he is willing to to see a mistake, recognize it, and remedy it. Even though he was part of the decisions when he was in the front office under Ted Thompson, he has not been so precious about those decisions and so full of ego about those decisions that he has not been able to say, we need to move on. Vince Beagle, he was in the room when they took Vince Beagle. He's not on this team. That is difficult and and potentially not a move Ted Thompson would have made. So I think when we look at the early returns, and I'm this is this is relevant to me now because of the Siragusa thing, because of Jamerson, because Tony Brown, who got a game ball last week and played really well against Calvin Ridley, his former teammate at Alabama against Atlanta, these things I think need to be discussed because there are still this this burbling on Packers Twitter of, oh, Gutekunst needs to prove it. Oh, this is just a Ted Thompson clone. No, no, he's not. Now, if you want to make the case that Ted Thompson was active early in his uh, tenure as GM, that's true. But Brian Gutekunst has made it clear that he views free agency as a part of team building in a way that Ted Thompson simply didn't. And he's already putting his money where his mouth is and, and saying, look, I think this is important and I'm going to treat it that way. And speaking of high upside moves, bragging rights and huge cash prizes are up for grabs this weekend and all season long at DraftKings. You may not be in your fantasy playoffs. You may be in the consolation bracket like I am. Well, you can still get in on the action at DraftKings, the leader in one-week fantasy sports. We're talking $1.5 million in total prizes. With one-week fantasy at DraftKings, you choose when to play. Draft a new team every week with no season-long commitments. At DraftKings, you are the GM. Just choose your players. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. No matter what your skill level, there's a contest waiting for you at DraftKings. So if you've been thinking about trying one-week fantasy football, now is the time to play because nothing makes Football Sunday more exciting than when you have a DraftKings lineup on the line. And you can play for free with your first deposit to compete for your share of over $1.5 million in total prizes. $1.5 million in total prizes. Don't you want some of that money? Couldn't you use some of that money to go Christmas shopping? I know I could. So go to DraftKings.com or download the app today and use the code LOCKEDON to enter a contest for free this weekend with your first deposit and compete for your share. Remember the number one and a half million dollars in total prizes. That's code locked on only at DraftKings. The game 
inside the game. All right, let's bring on Kevin Fishbane. He is the Chicago Bears beat writer for The Athletic Chicago. You can follow him on Twitter at KFishbane. That's F-I-S-H-B-A-I-N. Kevin, thank you for coming back on Locked on Packers. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So a lot has changed for both of these teams since the Week 1 matchup. I think that's putting it mildly in this case. Uh, but the the Bears were, I think, a popular team before the season to, you know, from prognosticators, analysts, people like us, let's say, uh, as a as a potential jump-up team, a team that could make a leap and, and get into the wild-card conversation. As someone who is there regularly around these guys, when did you get the sense they started to believe in how good they really were? Well, I actually think that you can go all the way back to week one. Um, and that loss to Green Bay. And, and I've covered a lot of bad losses for that Bears team in that stadium. Um, and, and the sentiment afterwards was really that they let one get away, and they knew it. And, and there was also this sense that week leading up to the Seahawks game on Monday Night Football, which they won pretty, I mean, not handily, but they were in control most of the game. The, these guys kind of knew. It was the first time they saw Cleo Mack in action. And they, it was the first time they saw Matt Nagy's offense in action. And, and there was this kind of, you know, this confidence, this frustration. Um, it was just different. Um, and, and you could kind of tell that they knew how good they could be. So I think it goes back to that, that early in the year, that game. Because leading up to that game, we really still had no idea. We had no idea how, what Mack would look like, you know, without having practiced until he got there. We didn't know what to expect from the offense or Mitch. So that that night, though, I think everyone's like, "Wow, these guys could, you know, that they could be in a lot of close games this season." And speaking of Mitch, one of the things that uh, Matt Nagy said a couple weeks ago was that early in the season he wasn't really sure what he could call, and not just for Trubisky, but for you know the other guys in the offense. It was new for everyone. How have you seen? Trubisky and this offense evolve because it seems like anytime they get into a goal to go situation or a third and short situation, Nagy has something for that situation. And it's really been impressive to watch. Yeah, those are fun to kind of see how they are in those special situations and, and to, you know, loop it back to that game against the Packers. They had a third and short with an opportunity to maybe put the game away um, and they didn't convert. Uh, and it was kind of a big question mark and a big question about Nagy's play calling. Um, and, and we kind of wonder, you know, does this guy struggle in the red zone because the Chiefs had had red zone issues in the past. Um, so a lot of that got kind of sorted out over the next few weeks. Um, and, then I, and then obviously everything kind of blew up in a positive way against Tampa Bay. But, yeah, you've seen, you've seen the playbook open up a little bit. Um, I, I think that – the, the game this week against Los Angeles was kind of a big learning moment for Matt Nagy where he took the ball out of Mitch Trubisky's hands in the fourth quarter. I think that was a recognition of the run game is finally working. Mitch is not having a good night. The defense is dominating. It's cold. Let's just kind of slow down. And we had, there have been games where Matt Nagy just said, you know, we're just going to keep throwing. He obviously likes to pass it more. Um, but that was a big game, I think, for him as a play caller to um, to show the wherewithal to understand his personnel, 
understand the flow of the game. He, he, he admitted that it was a very different game for him to call, knowing Aaron Dowell was on the other side. So each game has kind of been its own narrative a little bit with how these two have grown together. You know, as great as they looked in t- against Tampa in the first game against Detroit, then they don't look good against the Rams. And, and you know, with Chase Daniel in against the Giants, I know it's Chase Daniel, but I think the entire offense outside Allen Robinson struggled that afternoon. Um, in New Jersey. So it, it's, it's still a, a developmental thing. And, and I think the, I think the fun thing, if you're a bears fan is that you, you can't look at the Rams game and say the offense will never be fixed. It's over. Mitch is done. He's a bust because we've seen them turn it around week to week. So it really has become a, you know, Sunday to Sunday uh, situation of kind of altering the narrative of what this, this head coach can and the quarterback can do together. Yeah, it must be even more staggering for Bears fans than it is for Packer fans to watch a Bears offense not just look good, but look impressive and creative in ways that we maybe have never seen a Bears offense look. Uh, it, it really has been uh, uh, fun for me, at least, to watch. I don't know if a lot of Packer fans feel the same way, but as someone who just loves football and thinks that that the NFL is more fun when the Bears are good, uh, that evolution has been really cool. When you go back to that week one game, to the point you made about taking the ball out of Trubisky's hands, Mike Patton went to a lot of dime and dollar defensive personnel groupings and said, if you want to run it, go ahead. But we think you won't be patient enough to keep running it, even if you're getting four or five yards of carry, because we're giving you, you know, because we know you want to throw it. And, and I wonder if he's going to take that same tact, seeing what we saw that you mentioned is the approach um, that, that Nagy took in that fourth quarter. And it does seem like these are going to be two teams that play a little bit of cat and mouse with each other because Mike Patton is a very smart defensive coordinator and Matt Nagy is such an adept uh, play caller and designer of offense. Yeah, that, that first game against Green Bay, um, the final drive, uh, Mitch Trubisky said after the game, and I thought this was impressive for a quarterback in, shoot, that was his 13th NFL start, to say that he did not trust the um, trust himself to just go completion by completion and just kind of move the sticks and, and take his time. He got jittery. He got anxious. He was trying to make some big plays. Um, instead of just racking up first downs. Uh, and that was a big learning moment for him. And, and I think we saw a little bit about of that against the Rams. The Rams were doing a lot of zone defense, keeping everything in front of him, saying, listen, we're not going to let you throw it deep. We're not going to let you have Taylor Gabriel one-on-one or Al Robinson one-on-one. You're going to have to be patient and, and work your way downfield. And, and Mitch, in his first game back, you know, he's admitted a couple times this week, he just was a little anxious, and he had those overthrows. So, yeah, I, I would imagine that with, 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 with Petten to see a similar thing and, and, and challenging Trubisky and Nagy, who, you know, Nagy is very aggressive. Mitch likes to take shots. He's very competitive. Challenge those two guys to just kind of matriculate the ball down the field. Now, the Bears have been one of the better teams in the league in terms of time of possession throughout the year. So they have, they, they have the capability to do it, but it's also a team that likes to take shots um, and, and has been reluctant to stick to the run. Um, as you mentioned, so yeah, that's going to be a really fun uh, back and forth between those between those two sides. And I'm also curious to see um, it's kind of another evolution of Mitch 
in how he recognizes disguising defense. Cause you know, you know, it's better than anybody with the way Patton will do different things at that line of scrimmage before the snap. And then suddenly the snap is made and, and it's a completely different defense. How does Mitch react to that? Um, especially when happy feet was kind of his issue last week. Can he kind of stay calm, go through his progressions when the defense might be different than what he expects? Yeah. And on the other side of the ball, I'm very anxious to see how Joe Philbin and and the offensive changes that he has made manifest themselves against this Bears defense. Because one of the things that I was so impressed with, with what Vic Fangio did against the Rams was he basically said, if you want to run the ball, fine, we're not going to over pursue, we're not going to overcommit, and we're not going to be fooled by play action. Well, the Packers have, number one, not committed to the run game at all this season. <laughs> and they have not been a good play-action team. So what is the what is the plan going to be from Vic Fangio? Because Green Bay has also not wanted to get the ball out in a hurry. Now, they did against Atlanta. They, they ran a lot more three-step and quick passing game concepts. Chicago is going to be ready for that. So I'm, I, I think... Uh, there's not an intuitive approach, at least to me, for Green Bay to say, this is how we're going to attack this team outside of that quick rhythm passing game, which I would think Vic Fangio is going to be ready for. Yeah, you would think so. And, and that turns into a, does Aaron Rodgers think that he ha- has the weapons to almost you know, out-scheme out Vic Fangio, even if he knows that Vic knows what's coming? Because what was interesting about the second half of that week one game was it showed a blueprint of how you attack this defense. Miami did it in that kind of wild game where Albert Wilson went off. It was quick throws every snap to Brock Osler's playmakers, and they ran all over the Bears' defense. Makes uh, them tackle, yeah. And they didn't tackle well yeah. against Miami at all. Not, not at all. They missed tackles against New England. Tom Brady did the same exact thing. Um, and, and L.A. did not do that. That was not their plan. And, yeah, Rodgers are going to be patient if he wants to do that. The, 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 the interesting thing about it is I would expect the Bears to run a very similar defense to what they did against L.A. They mixed man and zone, and they were in base personnel a little bit more than you would expect against a team like the Rams, who are in 11 personnel all the time. Uh, I was actually working on a story about this for Thursday. Going back to the numbers, there were at least 15 snaps in which the Bears were in their base defense against – the Rams in three wide receivers. And what they were doing was they were going zone. And Sean McVay mentioned this after the game. He said, this is why they weren't running the ball as much is they'd get to the line and they'd see six guys. They'd see the bears in base and they decided well, we're going to throw. And that wasn't working either. Cause the bears defensive line just mauled the Packers offensive line. And you know, that the Vic Fager does not like to blitz. Uh, they probably did it four or five times against the Rams, either with the inside linebackers and the nickel corner. Um, but, yeah, I, I would expect him to do the same thing and just say load up on the defensive line, to, you know, make sure that you're not going to get beat deep and, and, and force Aaron Rodgers to make these quick throws um, and, and bank that your cornerbacks are going to do a much better job tackling uh, than they did in week one than they did in Miami. Fortunately for the Bears, they have the team that has always given Green Bay Packers problems, and that is a team that can get pressure with four and doesn't have to bring pressure. Those kinds of defenses, and and want to play physically on the outside, those are the kinds of defenses that have always given Green Bay problems, and that's going back to when they had good receivers and veteran receivers, when they had the Jordy Nelsons and James Joneses uh, and Greg Jennings of the world. 
Um, that's been the blueprint for years, and so I don't I don't see any reason to think that that Vic Fangio is going to change from that approach. Now it worked when he was with the 49ers, and it has worked at times when he was with the Bears. So I, I think this is an absolutely fascinating game. Um, the the line opened at at Bears minus four. It went up to minus seven after the Rams game. It's now right in that minus six range. So handicap this game for me a little bit and, and how you think it ultimately plays out. So, you know, I think if this is the Rams, and I was, I was talking to uh, Michael Cohen about this earlier today, or excuse me, you're the Packers. This is the Packers Super Bowl, right? I mean, I mean, this is... Oh, absolutely. They, yeah, they have to win to stay alive. It's their rival. It's a place where they've been very successful. They've won seven years in a row there. Um, and, and you can keep your playoff hopes alive while potentially, you know, while potentially making the bears wait an extra week before they clinch. Um, so I imagine that the Packers are going to give the bears everything they got. The question with the bears is, do they treat this game like they should, which is we can eliminate our rival from the playoffs and clinch the division for the first time in eight years on our home field and not have to worry about it when we travel to San Francisco or Minnesota and treat this game like you treated the Rams. If they do that, I think they're going to be okay. Um, the, the problem with the, with the Bears is they have been obviously benefited so much from how many takeaways they have this year. It's an absurd number of interceptions. And Rodgers just isn't going to – he's not going to throw four interceptions like Jared Goff did. And, and he might not throw a single interception. So that puts the onus on Mitch Trubisky and this offense. Um, and, and the offensive line, and Jordan Howard, and all these guys – to take advantage of every possession. Um, you know, I, I being somebody who's not in Green Bay, who's not watching every single Packers game, to me, Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. And, and, and he's not, obviously, the guy from one, two, three years ago, the, the, the third and short issues, the maybe having, having less mobility. But from a Bears perspective, he's still Aaron Rodgers. And I think if you're the Bears, the number one team you do not want to see in the playoffs is the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And I think to Packers fans, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, that might sound kind of crazy the way that Green Bay is viewing the season they're having. But in Chicago, nobody in Chicago wants to see Green Bay in the playoffs. Um, so there, there are so many interesting storylines for this game because I do think both teams are going to treat it as they both should, which is a massive game. And I'm wondering if the fact that, that – if if they can't force a takeaway from Aaron Rodgers, um, and the odds would tell you that maybe they can't, even though they've been so good at it, I think that the Packers might win this game um, because it just you just don't know what you're going to get from this Bears offense week in and week out. You know the defense is going to be good, and even if they don't pick them off, maybe they, they hold the Packers to field goals. Um, but but this, is, this could be a really close game um, unless Mitch Trubisky has one of those days that we've seen him have but not nearly consistently enough to expect him to go shot for shot with Rodgers if that's what he needs to do. In back in 2010, the Bears in Week 17 had a chance to eliminate Green Bay from the playoffs, and they laid an egg. And it didn't seem like they tried that hard, and the Packers got into the playoffs. And we all know how 2010 ended for both of these teams. So if you're a Bears fan, I think you have to hope that the Bears learn their lesson. And if you're a Packers fan, you have to hope – that they didn't. Kevin, uh, let my listeners know where they can find more of the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. At the uh, athletic.com slash Chicago. And uh, I'm on Twitter at KFishman. Great. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. And, and I think we're, we're in store for a, uh, another classic, I think, on Sunday.
It should be a fun one, Peter. All right, I want to thank Kevin again for joining the show. Always great insight there. If you're not a member at The Athletic, I don't know what you're waiting for. They're running deals all the time to lower that price. It's not even that expensive. Just go pay for quality content. I don't make you pay for Locked on Packers, but you do have ads. At The Athletic, you pay and there's no ads. It's great. This is not even a paid sponsorship. They don't sponsor the podcast anymore, but you should go pay for quality content. I'm a I'm a journalist in the world. So I want you to support quality content. I want you to support my friends who work there. And not just because they're my friends, because they do good work. We'll be back tomorrow. Injury report for this pivotal game. Packers trying to save their season, trying to stay alive in the playoff race. If they win out, there is a pretty good chance, I think, that, that they will be in the playoffs. And I think every Packer fan should want that. I just, I think that at this point of the season, every Packer fan should be rooting for that. I don't think it's going to save Joe Philbin's job because I just don't. I don't think that's the thing. I don't think they're going to keep Philbin. I don't think they're going to be reactionary off a couple games. That is not how this team operates. So we'll be back tomorrow talking Packers, Bears injuries and taking your listener questions. I know we've had a lot of guests this week, so I haven't had a lot of time to get to those questions. We will do that tomorrow. Look for that. In the afternoon, Locked On Packers, once again, the number one NFL show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Not the number one local show, the number one show. So thank you all again. I always am appreciative of the support that you show us here because that's why we do it. Do it for this community of Locked On Packers listeners and everyone who supports us. The season hasn't exactly gone as planned, but that doesn't mean that we are going to get down here at Locked On Packers. We are going to stay with it. We're going to keep our heads up and keep fighting, hopefully just like the Packers are this Sunday. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review, five-star rating, all of that good stuff. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, You can do that, 920-341-3775 to always stay Locked On Packers.